Uh, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on May 31st. On this week's edition, we're going to talk again about the continued impasse on cutting the city budget in Little Rock, drinking at SEC games, and who knows, maybe no. some more. What? No flooding? Maybe some flooding? I don't know. What's the say? Maybe some more. Yeah, it's it's flooding. <clears throat> uh, I'm joined as usual by Max Brantley. So we we skipped last week. It was Memorial Day weekend. I, I was out on Friday. Um, but the last two podcasts, I believe, we've talked about the the city budget crisis. Uh, and I think we, we expected that it would have been settled by now, but it's dragging on. No, and it was it was kind of a weird meeting uh, where they they gathered to have one more crack at the budget. And the mayor asked them to approve the revisions that had been proposed pretty much the same ones as before, about 44 job cuts and a big cut in the parks budget. And uh, the the vote split five to four because one director voted present, which is the same as a no. And if he'd he'd voted with the mayor, it had been five-five, and the mayor could have broken the tie, and they could have approved the budget. But there, there is some real resistance on the board. There's still a great deal of unhappiness with particularly the way they handle the park thing, that they're, they're going to close unspecified golf courses. Every, it's kind of not clear if Heinemann's the leader or War Memorial. I think War Memorial's probably the leader, but without a plan to go forward. I mean, it'll still cost money to mow those courses if nothing else. They're talking about repurposing them, but it's in a department that doesn't have any money. Uh, so why are they unspecified? Why not say? Well, I, that's a good question, and and I have very good, reliable information that the the mayor and his parks department had picked War Memorial and informed people there they were going to be fired in June, and there was a lot of unhappiness that that decision was made without consulting the city board first, and so that that anger continues to linger. And, but then the really interesting development, kind of the 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 mayor got a little return shot at the powers that be when out of nowhere, Gene Fortson proposed that the Chamber of Commerce not take a cut in its handout of three hundred thousand a year. And to me, this was an outrage. I mean, they're talking about laying off forty four low pay people, beggaring the parks department doing all kinds of cuts and vital services in the Chamber of Commerce, which gets a subsidy for $100,000 a year employees from city taxpayers, should be held harmless from budget cutting. Unbelievable. But they got five votes, and they all should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, Dean Compuris, Gene Fortson, Cappy Peck, Joan Adcock, and B.J. Wire. And B.J. Wire, the fit. But they had five votes, but there were five against it. And the mayor broke the tie saying, uh, no, I'm not going to leave them out of the budget cutting. And it's only $50,000, which is chump change to these guys. But in any event, that was an interesting development. And I, I can't say that I've really heard anything in the last week that, that there's still unhappiness on the board. Uh, whether whether the mayor can form a five-person governing coalition uh on everything and permanently, I think pretty clearly he's a long way from that. One other thing that happened at the board meeting that was very interesting, and so far, I mean, a number of people rushed to tell me about it. As of yet, it hadn't drawn any other media attention, which is kind of interesting. 
but uh, there's a problem with police overtime in part because the new two-man mayoral police escort service ran up $6,000 in overtime the first three weeks they were on duty. The police chief, Keith Humphrey, reported on police overtime and said it's, yeah, it's running high and it's going to break the budget. But one of the ways they're going to deal with overtime is devote four police officers to the mayor's escort service instead of just two. Four veteran detectives will now spend their time driving the mayor around. In shifts, though. In shifts, yes. And so they'll save some overtime. But we're talking about four people making 50000 a year, and the city has to match their payroll costs. So we're talking, and they got a brand new Tahoe they're driving around in, at least a quarter of a million dollars a year in a city that's struggling for money to drive the mayor to dinner. I, I, I You know, I, it's, it's, uh, it's not a good look. True. Also, the mayor has made, every time this has not gone through, he sort of lectures the board you're the ones that passed this budget. And that's correct. But, you know, he sounded Tuesday night really caught by surprise. I, I don't know. He's, I don't know if petulance the right word, but he was not happy. And I think he was ambushed. And The Ken, the Ken Richardson present vote was probably a surprise to many. Yeah, and I don't know. No, not clear what was going I'm on. I'm not there. sure what's going on with Ken, but sometimes things are not real clear with Ken. Of course, they're they're cutting heavily into some of these child programs that Ken has long been identified with. I, I think I think he's not totally at ease with the police department. For one thing, he brought up again the question of we've got 150 or more guys who get free police cars to drive home in, most of them not to live in Little Rock. And that still is a burr in his saddle, and and rightly so, by the way. And so I, I think the mayor will be sympathetic with Ken Richardson on some of these points, but I think he was trying to get this budget through. And, and the, big, the big thing is this. They're going to do something. They'll tap reserve money. They'll do whatever tricks they do to get through this year. But next year is a problem. And that hadn't really gotten much discussion. And, and it hadn't gotten. And, and the mayor himself brought it up, and, and rightly so. He said, you know, 2020, that's going to be my budget and going to be your budget. And the the contract with police and fire expires. There's going to have to be a new contract with them. They're talking about there'll be more expenses. Everything costs more than it does now. And uh, I, I just, they're only about a year and a half away from a, a sales tax expiring. There's, they're cutting the parks budget, and those revenues are pledged to the bonds that paid for the Clinton Presidential Park and have to be made up somewhere if the park revenue is short. I, I, the, the board, and this isn't blaming the mayor, and, and to his credit, he's called it up as this is just, this. what's happening right now is really small change compared to figuring out what we're going to do in the future. Lance Hines rejoined her too, this is your budget you passed, that is, you guys have been doing financial gymnastics to hide what's going on here. Right, and, and he puts some of the blame on bad revenue estimates and, not, and lack of preparation in the, in, the, in the accounting office, and that kind of is on the mayor. When he took office, one of the things he did was he said, I'm taking over the budget department. That's not going to be the city manager's responsibility anymore. It's going to be mine. And so he's relying on Sarah Linehan, the, you know, the the numbers chief, and and they've been missing the boat. 
And so some of that, I mean, the mayor, I mean, Lance Hines is is sort of right there. The mayor gets some of the credit or blame for this. So if you had to guess, you think they're going to figure it out next week? Oh, yeah. I mean, they have to. I mean, they have to. And and we're really talking it kind of at the edges here. I mean, easy for me to say when I'm not one of the 40 people that are going to lose their jobs, but they'll they'll come to some agreement on this but none of it none of it'll be good there's no easy solution the only easy solution is to raise taxes and get more money and that's not going to happen anytime soon okay well let's leave it there uh southeastern conference member presidents and chancellors voted today to allow the sale of alcohol in general seating areas at athletic events but the decision to do that or not is left to individual schools. Yeah, and I, I mean, everybody, I guess the other Power Five conferences already had opened the door to beer and wine, which this will do. And Hunter Urichek, the athletic director of Arkansas, was on the working group that came up with a recommendation, and they issued a sort of mumbly press release that didn't exactly say we're going to do it, but I, I think I'd be willing to bet a Paps Blue Ribbon that they'll be selling beer at Razorback Stadium come September. They need the money. It's about the money. Yeah. It's just another source of cash. And you've been able to drink at Razorback games if well, you're yes, high dollar if, if you If you were a high dollar enough sicket holder, if you were in the club seats or the private boxes, and by the way, I don't think the private boxes are limited to beer and wine either as uh, under the new SEC rules the great unwashed will be. but uh, And no beer after the third quarter in football. Oh, no. And not, you can't keep getting it when you go no, to seven no, they, overtimes? No, they're going to be cutoffs in all the sports at various points in, in the games. Uh, the critical moments, everybody's got to be in possession of their faculties, I guess. All right. Well, this is only going to make the games more fun to watch. Well, as somebody pointed out to me today, guns on campus and now beer on campus, what could possibly go wrong? Well, it was somewhat of a slow news week, though, taken up mostly by flooding. Uh, as you joked at the beginning, there's there's not a ton to talk about. It's terrible. Right, and the water will go down. You know, I, I although there are things we see in this that we undoubtedly won't learn from. First of all, we don't maintain our levee systems, which are secondary protection for a lot of parts of the state. And undoubtedly, one of them broke today up near Dardanelle, and and nobody will do anything about it because it costs money to maintain levees. This is something Jason Rappert's been talking about for a long time. Well, yeah, because he has a problem in his neighborhood with inadequate levees. He wants the state to pay for it, not the local property owners. I'm not so sure I like that. One of my favorite, unfavorite Republicans, Stu Soffer, sent me a picture today from down near Pine Bluff of a friend of his whose house was underwater. And he said, well, you know, they they got their stuff out, and that's good. And the last time it flooded down there, they were told they couldn't get flood insurance anymore, but they moved back in anyway. Well, yeah, you know, and there's this whole thing nationwide about, particularly as flooding, thanks to climate change, seems to be likely to come more often, is uh, people want the government to buy their property from them. Well... You know, and when the next hurricane washes Mike Huckabee's $3 million house away in Florida, are we going to pay for it? I mean, there, there's sort of some huge policy questions about building and floodplains and and what we're going to do about rising water levels where the used to be unthinkable now becomes a regular occurrence. I mean, in, in, in the immediate short run, there are places whose homes are in jeopardy and they're trying to save what they have. And, of course, that's a human struggle and 
and and people are caught in that drama, but there are really some mega issues here that that we haven't adequately thought about. You know, when they built the 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 river lock and dam system and opened it in the early 1970s, Little Rock was pretty well protected. I mean, most everything is built high enough, even in the warehouse district down by Cajuns, the buildings are high enough. They're probably all right, but you know, suddenly what seemed impossible now seems possible. So I don't know. But, you know, long-range thinking is not our strong suit. Right. Well, climate change, we can't directly attribute the flooding to climate change. No, the, the, and, and we don't know. But, I mean, there you know, the, there is some thought that the incidence of catastrophic weather events is because of the disruption. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that we know that climate change makes... Uh, yeah, makes the catastrophic events more likely to come. No, one, one of the great un- instability. One of the great ironic ones is is because the ice is melting, there's more moisture in the air over the ocean, and that leads, oddly enough, in the winters to record snowfalls, for which the Republicans in Congress say, "See, they say global warming. Look at this snow." Well, in fact. It is a product of global warming, right. these incredible snowfalls. But yeah, Amid the flooding and uh, record tornadoes in the Midwest, the Trump administration is doing all it can to suppress evidence of climate change. Right, and, 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 and going out and helping to keep the coal industry alive in Ohio. And it's, you know, it's, it's just nuts, that's all. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Well, Pizza D reopened. Did you go last night no, to the celebration? No, no, they cleaned I, it up quite a bit. Mike Brown, who's been a good friend of the Toms, is <laughs> apparently running it. and I'm sure it's going to be much improved. I, I went there 40 years ago, though. I mean, it's... I, I spent a lot of time in my early 20s there. But it's still going to be a smoking place. And I've kind of gotten... Isn't it? It's going to be 21? I believe so. Somebody showed a picture of an ashtray. I'd heard they were flirting with with non-smoking but you know there there was a a pizza d alumni facebook group where they all kept up with each other and a bunch of men ended up at zach's and khalil's and it's a few smoking i'm just uh, there's nothing worse than a reform smoker and i happen to be one and so i just as soon not have it around but yeah you know they have uh they four quarter which is a really great bar in north little rock is smoking but they do some sort of they claim Suction they can do a device. smoke removal system that makes it better. I don't know. I Maybe. still want to take a shower when I come out, but it's not quite as oppressive yeah. as some of the others. All right. Anything else? Well, I do have an endorsement this week. All right. Well, let's jump in. Chernobyl. Yeah. You know, I have a friend that was singing his praises. The preview just looks awful, well, like torture porn. Well, it's it's dark. It, this is, of course, a, a five-part series on HBO retelling the nuclear disaster at Chernobyl in Russia. And it's, of course, the conservatives are eating it alive because it it depicts the Soviet mindset of cover-up and what have you in the worst sort of way. But there are also some incredible stories of heroism and and just crazy Russian courage and and just throwing themselves into certain death to deal with the disaster that emerged. I got interested, first of all, because it was written and produced by Craig Mazin, who, who I started following on Twitter several years ago because he'd been a college roommate of Ted Cruz and hates him, uh-huh. hates him above all things. And it's just funny to watch him dump on Ted Cruz and talking about what a 
a slime Ted Cruz was in college. But so I kind of got familiar with him, and so I said, "Well, I'm going to watch this." And the first episode was was so dark I could barely watch it, and it was kind of almost sci-fi the way it was presented. But then in the second episode, when it got into the Soviet cover-up and the pushback and the personal stories of heroism and dealing with just the the incredible problems of radiation, the scary, which makes you start contemplating nuclear power and everything else. It just became very gripping, and it's it's gotten better with each episode. And I'll watch the final one, I guess, Monday night. But but uh, no, and they've they've done some recreation of what radiation does to people in terms of degrading your skin. Some pretty awful stuff. It's it's not pleasant watching, but uh, the writing's great, the acting is great. It's uh, I'm I'm not at all sorry. We've gotten de- deeper and deeper into it as it's rolled along. Okay, well, maybe I'll give it a chance. Uh, just the darkness. It's dark. <laughs> I mean, it is dark, no doubt about that. Well, I'll have two TV recommendations. And by the way, they, they record, they, it's very real. They did most of their shooting in a mirror image nuclear plant in Lithuania. Oh, wow. And so it's like the same plant, but so you're, you're getting a very real depiction of it. I have two TV recommendations, one of which you might even like. Uh, Fleabag is a show on Amazon. Have you? I watched the first series, the first season. The, yes, the first season, and I don't know. Well, the second season is considerably better. Everybody says the second season better. Well, everybody said the first season was great, and I, I thought the first season was pretty good. But the second I thought season it was okay. I mean, it wasn't bad, but I thought the the second season was just about perfect. Well, uh, it's it's uh, the show is. Is she still talking at the camera a lot? Is yeah, that that they're yeah. continuing that deal? Yeah, it's uh, it's based on a stage play that this Phoebe Waller Bridger, uh, woman who's become kind of darling of british uh tv she's also the she was the writer and showrunner of killing eve in its first season um but it's just it's all about her dealing with uh the suicide seeming suicide of her best friend and sort of struggling to be a a grown-up and deal with family and all that yeah I, i thought the second season was near perfect also i've recently uh subscribed to the criterion channel which is the the new streaming option that the the Criterion Collection offers, and it's great. I love it. It's like nine nine or ten bucks. Works just like Netflix or Amazon. You can uh, download things to watch offline on your mobile devices. And they've got, uh, if you're not familiar with Criterion, it it collects sort of the the greatest in film classics and art house. Um, so it's movies. It's movies. They have shorts. So. I watched The Third Man for the first time the other day, which I'm sure you've seen a bunch of times. Um, but also they have every, probably not everything, but they have 15 movies that Les Blank, the great documentary, document, documentary filmmaker, um, has done. So I watched Always for Pleasure. Have you ever seen that before? About What's, New Orleans? Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah, he, he's done some great Louisiana stuff. Yeah, he's, he's well known for his Louisiana work. Uh, I don't. I've got all the Kurosawa movies. I'm watching one right now. Lots of little shorts. Um, lots of interviews with filmmakers that go along. But I don't know their collection. They have like two thousand films, I think. Um, so you know, I'm loving that. What's it cost? It's like Netflix, ten bucks or something. Ten bucks or so. Yeah, and you can cancel. So check it out. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Subscribe via iTunes or your favorite place to get podcasts and 
We'll be back. See you around.